welcome you back to our part two of our podcast episodes for children out of home care and how we can better serve them as pediatric physical therapists. So today we have the honor of being joined by three people who have connections with this population. We have Mitch, we have um, Dr. James Cafferly, and then Brenia, and I'm going to have each of them introduce themselves in that order, um, and they're going to talk about who they are and their connection to this population. How's it going? I'm Dr. Hamlin, a, a doctor of physical therapy and founder and owner of uh, Levitate Physical Therapy and Sports Performance. I treat a combination of athletic, the athletic population and providing home therapy services while also treating uh, patients in an outpatient facility. Awesome. And Mitch, what's your connection to this population? Yeah, my connection to this population is very unique in the setting of uh, physical therapy as I actually grew up in foster care, uh, went through the motions of being ward of the court, and then transitioned into a graduate program, and uh, lucky to be where I'm at. Thank you. Hi, my name is James Cafferly. I'm a pediatrician here in Denver. I work for Denver Health. I do general pediatrics, but then for the last almost four years, I've been uh, working in a clinic, a medical home specifically for children who are in out-of-home care called Connections for Kids. So um, going on now close to four years of providing medical care and then um, advocating in terms of the systems that children in out-of-home care experience medical, uh, the medical system. Pleasure to be here. Rania Serrano, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in the special care clinic at Children's Hospital Colorado. So our clinic specifically serves children with medical complexity and a notable portion of our population includes children who are in out-of-home care, whether that be foster care, kidship care, or some kind of things in between, particularly due to their medical complexity. So again, thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here. Thank you all for being here. Um, And just as a reminder for the listeners as well, that this podcast episode kind of came into fruition out of um, a kind of a side project I was doing um, for the APTA um, Centennial Scholar Program and through my capstone project for that, where I was looking into children in out-of-home care and how we can better serve them and where our gaps in services are for this population. And so um, the reasons why we have who we have on this panel are from some of those gaps that I found in the initial survey that I sent out to pediatric physical therapists and who they treat in this population and who they collaborate with or who they don't collaborate with. So to get us started, um, since Mitch, you were actually grew up in foster care, I was wondering how did you find out about physical therapy as a profession? Yeah, it's a very, very interesting trajectory for me as I came into the system in early 2005, um, you know, and then honed down on academics. And naturally, I gravitated towards anatomy and physiology throughout high school. Being an athlete um, and having sports be a play always an active role in my life. It, it gave me focus and motivation at an early age. And um, you know, I ended up transitioning into being a collegiate track and field athlete and spending all my free time in the training room, focusing on injury prevention. And my mentors just happened to be physical therapists and athletic trainers. You know, the combination of that and my love of 
anatomy and physiology landed me into this realm of, of physical therapy. That's, that's really how I found out about it, mainly through my mentors and those who I chose to surround myself around. Awesome. Thank you. I think that really highlights, you know, the importance of grassroots and pipeline um, projects and organizations and how we can get other people into our fields. So thank you for that. Um, for Verenia, what would you say that PTs and other healthcare professionals should look for in terms of red flags for children out of home care as it relates to mental and behavioral health? children and care and we think about the importance of attachment and relationship with caregivers for encouraging things like gross motor exploration right which physical therapists are going to be working on and so I think about a young child you're still figuring out who is your caregiver who's going to give you the signals about what is safe who's going to convey to you a sense of confidence as you work on a new skill when out of home um children out of home care have changed placements. I think about uh, some red flags or things to note or think about or some difficulties with kids uh, connecting with their caregivers with using those caregiver relationships to either support their exploration or to support their confidence. And uh, especially in young children, notable dysregulation, tantrums and behavior meltdowns are a part of early childhood. But if we think about um, really kind of notable dysregulation or difficulty returning a baseline after something that's frustrating. If you're pushing your kid a little bit, you know, in uh, to advance them in a skill, how well can they tolerate that regulation? And so young kids, I would think about some notable dysregulation, difficulty with using caregiver attachment. And so you get to older kids, similar types of uh, concerns, but maybe looking more like maybe mood dysregulation, defiance, um, things like, like that are, um, and the examining what's contributing to that. We think about children who have been um, in various homes or even just in one out of home placement may have experienced uh, trauma, stress, and we need to think about how those are integrating to their participation in developmental therapies and other areas of their life. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. I think, you know, that's so important for us to recognize that that trauma and just be going and moving from different homes is super important for us to know as caregivers as well. So thank you. Um, and then for Dr. Kafferly, can you tell us a little bit more about the Connections for Kids Clinic and how often you see kids in this clinic, greet care, the format, that type of stuff? Yeah, so Connections for Kids um, is a medical home for kids in out-of-home care, as I had shared. It uh, began in 2007, and some of the clinical uh, advocates for that had noticed that this was a group of children who at times would have gaps in care or would have initial assessment, but not have a follow-through. So um, they created this clinic specifically to provide um, medical care, but also to provide behavioral health services. So it's located at Denver Health Seaside Clinic. Um, the children that we see, we have a schedule of exams that's somewhat dependent on the child's age. So in general pediatrics, most of our visits tend to be uh, when a child's younger and we really watch development. And just as Vinay was saying, that caregiver attachment to provide a supportive role. We have an enhanced periodicity of the schedule that we see children. So when children um, first leave the hospital, we'll see them at discharge, and then we'll see them monthly. 
three or six months of age, and then every three months until they're two years old. And then recommended to children are seen uh, at least every six months as they remain in out-of-home care. And that's a little more often than what the general population would see. There's also a guideline that's um, recommendation for foster health that if a child would first enter out-of-home care, that there are three medical visits within the first three months. Sometimes that's initially following removal after about one month and then after three months to try and identify any medical or behavioral health needs. And then also to have more comprehensive assessment and development. That's really key as we're working with uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and other um, direct service providers that care for these children. Awesome, thank you. Um, so just for the listening out there, we're gonna go through some questions that are individual and at the end, we're gonna have a little bit more of a discussion about some collaboration and um, advice and stuff. So for Dr. Hamlin, for you, what was the most challenging aspect of being in out-of-home care growing up? I have to say it was touched upon earlier and the change of environment, that change of environment, constant change in environment and host hostile environment changes really breaks down into the ability to trust those around you. So I think the most challenging aspect is to be able to be comfortable with those around you, whether they're medical or they're your foster parents or social worker, county worker, when the environment changes, there's this state of alert and being able to take yourself out of that and coming from the position of a therapist is to being able to understand that this change is constantly revolving around the youth and those who are uh, in out of home care. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, that brings up a great point too that was brought up in the last episode that I recorded with some caregivers for this population and how for them, it would have been so much easier if they're able to keep the same doctor for um, their kids during these transitions or, you know, for therapists, if we're able to, to stay with them. So thank you. For Veredia, how can PTs better support the patients and families in this population and support their mental and emotional health when working with this population? I think as um, Mitch said, being mindful and aware of the impact of that uh, constantly changing environment or regularly changing and needing to know what, when am I safe? And also there's a bit of um, sometimes uh, not sure whether to trust your body, right? If you think about trauma, we think about hypervigilance, we think about needing to learn and adapt to be safe in the environment. Some kids may, once they're in a, a, a safe home, their body may be giving them signals still that I'm, I'm not safe. And so it takes time. Sometimes I'll talk with caregivers and they'll say they've been in my home for six months and there's still this worry and fear of what's happening or hoarding of, of, of food. And so we think it, it, the body can know something in your mind and, and what it feels like in your body doesn't necessarily progress at the same rate. And so I think what PTs and other developmental therapists, other people can think about is keeping that the impact of those changes of having to constantly evaluate your situation and also really try to make sense of what's happening and adapting can take an emotional toll that sometimes doesn't leave a lot of um, emotional energy left for things like developmental therapies or 
chores or homework or, or things like that. So be mindful of the impact and patient in the adjustment. Awesome. Thank you. It sounds like, you know, the more patient we can be with a lot of these kiddos and these families, the better support we can provide for them in that realm. Um, for Dr. Cafferly, how does Connections for Kids Clinic incorporate multidisciplinary care and what types of interactions with different um, like rehabilitative providers or team are most common? Yeah, so in our clinic itself, we have a behavior health expert. We also have um, the complement of services with dental care and then also around health education um, that are available with the direct conversation with developmental therapists. We have um, a couple of modes of conversation. Some will have direct conversation where we'll call, be able to understand uh, if a therapist has a specific concern so we can understand the context or greater detail. Many times we'll exchange emails and then at times we'll have care conferences where we'll have representatives from a medical team or behavioral health also engage with the developmental therapist. That's one way that we see. The other area that we see a lot is in the kind of longitudinal care for children. There's regular communication that is updated. Most often for that, it's through written communication that can be faxed to our clinic or we can call for a follow-up. But it's really a key portion because our visits um, at times are shorter than what developmental therapists, the time and exposure they have with the child. So it's uh, really a great service when we can have dialogue because the therapists are engaging not only with the child and being able to see assessment and make a plan that we can work together. But they also, as we had talked about before, are able to see that relationship that a child has with a caregiver. And is there making uh, progress towards developmental milestones, either strategies that those caregivers are using that are helping those skills flourish or ways to complement the caregiver skill set so they can incorporate new practices that continue to reach those developmental milestones. The other area that I'd say that's really intriguing is when therapists have engagement with current uh, caregivers who might be either kinship relatives or non-relative foster caregivers and also members of biologic family. And that's really an interesting area where we're able to see those skills for development and tools for helping a child um, grow and attain new skills be shared in different environments and with different caregivers. So we have these great interactions at times where we're able to talk with both the current caregivers and then the families of origin and being able to see how they both helped elicit these developmental progress uh, points for children. So the, the therapists are really key in helping us understand that. Awesome, thank you. Um, sounds like you all do a lot of multidisciplinary care for sure and it's definitely an area where I think more of us can tap into to better serve this population. And then, like you said, kind of work with the whole care team to make sure all of their needs are met. Um, for Dr. Hamlin, what aspects of wellness or physical fitness did you find most difficult um, with being in out-of-home care growing up? And what changes would you have made to your own health care? That's, that's a good question because my brothers and I were, well, the three of us were placed into care. And luckily enough, all been able to sustain under the same roof and even when we were you know early on we always played sports growing up and being in the the public school education system 
we had access to a lot of different sports. We all played different sports. And, you know, with the knowledge I have now, I'd have to say the most difficult aspect has to lie in the realm of like health education, primarily in nutrition and recovery. Um, You know, it's not something really like focused on uh, throughout junior high, high school, not until you get into a, like a collegiate athletic program. Um, so that like that realm of fitness, uh, is not really touched upon. Um, cause we know that there's like sleep, there's exercise and there's diet. And so, you know, you factor in those three things, um, into, to the athlete and, you know, changes that I think I would have made to my own healthcare growing up, uh, staying athletic, right. Pre- learning about injury prevention, how to move forward and how to, how to better yourself as an athlete and, and take on leadership roles. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I know that, you know, that's kind of one of the gaps in services that we discovered that I found out in my survey that I sent out too, was that during kind of those high school years, like you mentioned that transition, those transitional years, there's not a lot of care being given from either PTs or otherwise maybe. Um, and so for these kids to learn about those aspects of wellness and health. So that's really great that you brought that up. And especially as someone too, who even was like a college athlete where not everyone is going to be a college athlete and you still had those struggles. So thank you so much for sharing mm. your experience. Um, so for Veronia, how do you collaborate with other healthcare professionals? Um, which is one of the best parts of my job. Being a psychologist integrated into a primary care clinic, um, we get to work with medical providers, dietitians, um, nursing, and social workers, family navigators. We have a great slew of, of roles in our clinic. And when I think about working with, collaborating with early intervention therapists or other um, therapists who are not inside Children's Hospital Colorado, um, that work is often decided upon and agreed upon with the family once we're realizing, hey, there's this behavioral health component that's sort of getting in the way of the child being able to participate in physical therapy. Or sometimes the parents will say, you know, the therapist has told me that that they might not be able to continue services because of behavioral difficulties. And so in collaboration with others looks like what, especially because the patients I see are all medically complex. And so children with medical complexity or developmental disabilities are at higher risk for abuse, neglect, or other maltreatment than other children without disabilities um, or medical complexity. And so for my role to do it best, I need to, to collaborate with medical providers and learn how is this child progressing, what is the the impact of their medical needs on that family who's caring for them? Um, How are they balancing? Suddenly you have a child who has multiple therapies plus multiple nursing needs each day or feeding needs and, and things like that. And so I work best by learning from asking, seeing what the goals they have, and then integrating those together to figure out behavior and emotions underlie everything, right? Like you're always doing something or responding to something or regulating the context of. And so as a role, as a psychologist in an integrated clinic, I get to collaborate to say, how do we help to triage? How do we help to 
help the family who is maybe suddenly caring for a child with lots of needs, thoughtfully sequence and triage because many people are giving them recommendations. Come to these appointments, schedule these things, do these things, and it can be overwhelming for even foster caregivers who have cared for many children. And so I work to be a, a presence that helps to center and stabilize and help to triage um, and, and address any behavioral or emotional needs that are really impacting or derailing progress in, in other areas. Thank you. I think that that triage piece is such a big thing because we do hear so many times from families that you know, so many, they have so many services are so hard to juggle all of our, you know, even just like PTOT speech, right? Um, and then adding in behavioral aspects and emotional aspects that are bound to happen with this population just from them experiencing an uh, adverse childhood experience, right? Like, how can we work with you all better to, to have that increased collaboration? Yeah, I should just met with the family um, a child has been in foster care for a few years and we're talking about emotional behavioral needs and, and um, therapy referrals and talking about modality. Now you can do in-home, you can do telehealth, you can do in-office. It's kind of more options now with, with um, the pandemic. And I talked with the, the young girl by herself and then we talked with her, her, her mother, as she, as she called her foster caregiver. And I said, let's think about this is your, your child's preferences. How do those fit with what your family's schedule is? Because she cares for other children at out-of-home care as well as other children in her home. And I said, let's think about this because I know this child is not the only child in your home. She's not your only responsibility. How do these appointments and this referral fit into what you have to do? And the mother said, thank you. Thank you for realizing I can't do everything for everyone, right? And so we triage and figured out what's gonna meet this child's need, who she is having, you know, um, trauma reminders from her, her life um, prior to entering foster care and her own young, young child behavioral problems. Um, and how do we fit that into a family? Because I think if you, a child doesn't live by themselves, a child is not in isolation. And if you stress out their family unit, their caregiving unit, that eventually trickles down to the child. And so in giving whole child recommendation, our whole family recommendations and really working with the family to make um, implementation feasible is a very valuable thing for the well-being of the child. Awesome, thank you, yeah, that, you know, working with kids, I feel like a lot of us hear this a lot, but until we really experience it in these more complex situations, we don't realize how impactful it is when we either work with the whole family or don't work with the whole family and how much it really can make a huge difference for sure. So for Dr. Cafferly, kind of a similar question, um, how do you envision increased collaboration between rehabilitative or rehabilitation team providers um, or, you know, developmental care providers and um, physicians? You know, I think there are some settings where the, both those services can be co-located, and there are some clinics that have those, um, that they're able to deliver services, not simultaneously, but consecutively. So I think that's, that's one option. Um, that's possible in some domains, uh, but not possible in others. I think when that's not possible, and that's reality for our clinic, some of the key ways that I see are regular forms of communication, 
And one thing that's really helpful is when there are milestones that um, can be reported on in like a bi-directional way. So the medical team providing some updates with uh, developmental therapists and the developmental therapists being able to share regular updates and milestones that are either being attained or the next ones to target. Um, because I think that both allows uh, the medical provider and the developmental therapist to adjust kind of their care goals or their degree of interaction. They really make it child first and child serving while at the same time recognizing that there's some unique um, social and familial context for this population. So some of the key things, I think if the services can be co-delivered, that's wonderful, but that's not the reality for most places. So really strong communication and consistent communication um, because uh, we shared some children have a single experience where they remain in a, with a single caregiver, but for the reality is, um, most of these children experience a placement change about two and a half times a year. So with those placement changes, sometimes some of the prior care plan or prior skills may not be communicated to the next caregiver. So the medical team, the behavioral health team, and the developmental therapy team really can be um, key figures in helping uh, make sure that messaging continues across. Um, and so strong communication, make sure that those are centered on the child and helping the child reach those milestones. Awesome, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's such an important point, right? Like that communication and that's something the caregivers were saying too was, you know, if developmental therapists or whoever's working with our child can provide like handouts and can provide like a maybe like a developmental chart of checklists of like skills and so I think that's a that touches on a huge part of what they were saying as well with that just constant and good communication how much easier it is for those transitions both for the providers and then the child as well. Can each of you kind of tell us what some of the most some of the challenges or most rewarding aspects of working with this population of being part of this population are? Definitely definitely I feel that you know having been on both sides of the coin on this one the resources that are available for this population tends to be challenging. However, the, the accessibility continues to grow in terms of like its uh, ability um, to be presented to the population. But in terms of healthcare, I think it's universal that it's rewarding to see the growth of patients and to be a part of their process that helps them achieve their goals. I think that for me is, is definitely part of the reward. You know, I think to echo those comments, what I think is most rewarding is really the ability to have a relationship with a child. Um, that I think is um, what drew me really into pediatrics, but in particular for this patient population and a group that um, just by bringing a stethoscope into a room, I'm invited into um, the lives of many children and it's great to uh, partner together with caregivers and biologic family to try and figure out how best to promote health. Um, it's also um, an area that causes me to kind of think creatively because there are some challenges in either accessing um, services, um, trying to figure out how we best can do that in a timely manner, how we can do it in a way that's centered on the child and also cognizant of um, traumatic experiences, how we can bridge relationships, and then also really celebrate successes. 
Um, so it really comes down to those um, engagement with uh, patients. And I'll echo as well. Another two panelists have mentioned is, is that bit to work with children and longevity over time, and particularly in a population that is often underserved or experiences fragmented, fractured care, um, to be able to help the children, to help their caregivers and their families sort of stream together a narrative, stream together um, some continuity and, and some structure in the midst of of chaos. Um, listening to finishing listening to an audiobook today, and the um, panel, uh, the author had noted right the opposite of trauma is not the absence of trauma. It's um, you know like the absence of chaos, right? So we think about trauma as something that can be very chaotic and unpredictable and disruptive. And so when we think about providing uh, safe and secure and predictable caregiving environments, medical team, like in the clinic mentioned um, by Dr. Cafferly, for a child to know who's gonna keep caring for me medically, who's gonna keep caring for me, my developmental therapies and in my home, um, we're helping to potentially provide the balance to that trauma is the opposite of chaos and predictability in organization and continuity for well-being. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, you all kind of echoed similar sentiments, but just that the more that we can all be there as providers and be that continuous thread for this child along their, you know, possibly rocky journey um, gives them a nice point of stability and something that's more predictable and maybe something that can be, um, you know, a point of less, less trauma for them or a point where they can gain more resilience and then after that resilience is being, gaining more of these skills that we might be working on in therapies. So awesome, thank you all so much. Um, what advice would you like to give other healthcare professionals who are working with this population? I think as, you know, all of us alluded to and, and built foundationally, you know, Dr. Caffrey, Serrano, Quinn, you know, we all just push this like agenda to continually make personal connections. You know, these, as, as said, like these kids go through 2.5 transitions a year on average and being able to provide empathy to them and guide the, this population into making decisions to benefit themselves and transform their lives into how they picture it is by far like for for me personally has to be one of the biggest advice i'd give someone uh, as being on both sides um from a medical standpoint you know a lot of times we'll go into kind of a visit algorithm of kind of what we have for our template uh, the questions we ask kind of the progression of our exam if i could give one piece of advice it would really be to take a moment to pause and ask, um, depending on the age of the child, uh, asking the child directly or asking uh, the caregiver who's with them how they're doing um, and really trying to make this about um, identifying strengths. So whether that's making uh, progress in one domain of development while others are still um, in need of support, really celebrating those moments if it's recognizing some particular challenges, giving time and space uh, for those to be vocalized and creatively thinking about some strategies um, that maybe introduce a new approach to a, a 
treatment barrier. Um, and then um, also depending on the, the age of the child, really asking like, who are the people that um, support you? Who are the people that potentially could be another ally in this that we haven't yet reached? Um, and so I think while we go in with some kind of understanding of our template or what we anticipate to ask, but just to give pause and really recognize um, the child in front of you and ask them how they're doing and what, what are some of the things they do well and what are some of the things they're working on. Yeah, it's a lovely sentiment. You can tell, right, in, in pediatrics and in doing those visits as often children are talked about in the visits and not talked to. So I think that's a lovely and echo that is um, children who are in out-of-home care are more than the sum of the worst things that have happened to them. And they have likes and they have resilience and they have things they're working on and they, they are people um, who like to be talked to, not always talked about. Um, and so remembering that. And I think as you learn it and more unique to my role as a psychologist is sometimes hearing about trauma or hearing about things. And I think... Um, you know, in, in psychology, we have uh, great training for boundaries and responding, but sometimes in other disciplines where that boundary, emotional boundary and reflection is not um, as key as strong a part of the training. Um, I have seen uh, sometimes the child have to emotionally support the professional as they have disclosed their history or their story, or some people will say, I'm so sorry, that's so awful. Um, and again, the child is more than the worst things that have happened to them. And so, um, maybe be mindful of your reaction as you're listening and, and, and don't un unintentionally ask that child to hold your emotional reaction to their history because they are holding their emotional reaction to their history. What they would need from a professional caring for them is just as Dr. Caffrey said and Mitch said is, is these are individuals, they are people and they need these, these trusted supports to sort of build up their network to help them um, continue to to grow and thrive in the settings where where they're at awesome thank you all so much for providing that advice it was super helpful um both as someone who is myself an adoptee right and then someone who works with this population um on a daily basis and i think that's just so important to remember at the end of the day you know as in all, with all of our patients that we see that you know they're people first and they have other interests and lives first they're their injuries, their stories, their maybe tough experiences are not all of them. Um, it's just a part of them, part of their story. Um, but there's so many other aspects that we can touch on and really making sure that they feel comfortable with you first and having that good rapport is so important. So thank you all for sharing those. Um, so this question is kind of like in an idealistic world, kind of question. Um, so I'm gonna give you all a minute to think about it, but basically it's in like an idealistic world, what would you all envision as the best healthcare that we could provide for this population? Um, and what would you envision as like your idealistic collaboration between all of our professions? You know, I think uh, when I think about kind of what would be the uh, perfect setting. I don't think it's distinct or separate for children who are now to home care than for children who are living with biologic family or otherwise. And I think what that means is um, a system that provides a chance for health, a chance for wellness, and a chance for growth. And so I think that means caring for the physical, 
mental and behavior and developmental uh, needs of a child, but also in the context of uh, an adult who's able to care for them. And the caring adult we know can come from someone who's in a biologic family, someone who's outside of a biologic family, but really what we wanna have is a system that's responsive and allows those areas for growth. So I don't see something that's distinct. What I do see is opportunity for both um, children who are in out-of-home care and children who are living with relatives to have a system that's more responsive to comprehensive care. When I think about then what would that system take I think that is, uh, as we keep coming back to, clear communication, I think consistent communication. And then also too, I think a degree, part of our responsibility is um, providing guidance and providing some resources that allow families to in, enact these practices um, in their daily lives. It's not dependent on them seeing me. It's not dependent on them potentially seeing a a therapist and a regular emphasis, it's fine to check in and see how you're making progress, but really that these are skills that families can incorporate into their daily lives to help promote, like I said, health, well-being, and growth. Yeah, adding that that integrated um, uh, communication and trying to reduce the work of care, of uh, care coordination and care communication from the family and having a trauma-informed um, and attachment-informed setting, which I think um, would benefit all, all people, uh, is that attention to, to trauma, to attachment, and to the burden and time uh, of care coordination. And so especially said the children I see with medical complexity, they have PT, OT, feeding, plus some other appointments, plus regular specialty appointments. And so how do we enhance the communication to reduce the care coordination? And so if I had um, extra things to, to say would be um, enhanced systems for care coordination as the connections for uh, kids clinic has is that enhanced um, keeping the child at the same place if they're changing homes. Um, so more of attention to how to how to make the systems a little easier to talk to each other. So it's not always the, the families having to go between. Definitely. I, I, I'm going to have to say that, you know, we all strive to provide a quality for these individuals across the board, regardless of, of their familial background. I think that is the best approach to take because when I see patients, it doesn't matter to me who, if they're in care, if um, they're with their biological parents or they have spouses taking care of them. For me, it's, it's who they are as a person and how they present in front of me and the goals that they want to achieve that I put before myself. And it's really great to see that these professions were all striving to collaborate already and to make this accessible for the population. Awesome. Thank you all. Um, yeah, I think that's so important, right? Like we touched on some golden nuggets in this podcast, of, you know, that constant communication that for that collaborative care and just having that collaboration with caregivers as well so that the care is carried over and the transitions are just easier for these kids in out-of-home care, but also for all of our patients. And I think that um, a lot of these aspects that we talked about today can be brought and carried over to, to so many other populations that we serve as well. Um, I want to thank Drs. Cavley, Dr. Hamlin, Dr. Cernio for joining us tonight. 
Um, I know you all have busy lives. It took us many, many tries to get together. So I'm really appreciative of all you all for your time and for collaborating with me on this effort so that we can go and try to give better care all together and more collaboratively to both children out of home care and um, pediatric population as a whole. So thank you all so much. And if you have any last words of advice or golden nuggets you want to give us, feel free. I just want to say thanks so much for bringing us together. I think it's been great hearing um, the experiences from uh, the co-panelists and I think it helps me now as I go back into clinic also uh, kind of have a different perspective and think, great, I said these things, but how can I actually make some of this uh, communication improve and um, find some ways that not only do I receive it, but also I can share it with others. So thanks for gathering us. Yeah, of course. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Have a great night. Have a great night.